We are studying the Psalms, open secret for happiness. The book of Psalms begins with the word happy. Oh, how happy. And as we've seen in the introduction to the Psalter, Psalms 1 and 2, this is the uh, thing that brackets and uh, sets the frame around all that we are to read, the happiness of the godly. That happiness has many facets to it. And tonight we turn to Psalm 128, a psalm that mentions happiness twice in the first two verses. In fact, I would like to start and read from Psalm 127 uh, because these two psalms are tied together. I very strongly suspect that they were originally both composed uh, by Solomon as uh, two parts of of a whole. And uh, there is an important progression. Psalm 127 uh, finishes with the word happy in the last verse. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Uh, Psalm 128 begins blessed, but the word again is happy. The same word, everyone who fears the Lord, when you eat of the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. Again, same word, and it shall be well with you. This thrice happy man is described in Psalm 127 and 128. Let's uh, read together from God's word. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior... So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, Psalm 128, the psalm we'll be considering this evening. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. And it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Let's pray once more. Father, we pray that this happy peace, this happy blessedness that is the birthright of the godly may be ours, not only ours alone, but from generation to generation. May it continue in the lines of your people until the suns and moons are no more. We pray that uh, you would continue to maintain a light and a lamp of the fear of the Lord in our houses and in the house of this place for many generations. For Christ's sake, amen. In a previous generation, if you wanted to describe somebody that was a godly person, you would describe him perhaps as a God-fearing man. John Mellencamp taught to fear Jesus in a small town. Not only does that sound rather antiquated now, more and more modern translations of the Bible are taking the word fear out people do so, assuring us that, well, it simply means reverence and awe, and they hurry on to what they judge are more important things. But in Scripture, fear is not always reverence and awe. Indeed, sometimes it's fear and trembling. Moses 
had his knees knocking and said, I'm trembling with fear standing before the Lord, or the first I mentioned this morning from Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. The, the fear of the Lord certainly, at least at times, in, includes a, a kind of trembling, certainly being afraid to sin against him. Joseph was alone in the house with Potiphar's wife, who tried to seduce him, and he easily could have rationalized that away. Well, who will know? But instead, because he feared God, he said, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? And so it is that we're reminded here in verse 1 of Psalm 128 that the one who fears the Lord walks in his ways. At least one part of that is surely a fear of displeasing the one whom we love. Well, if, if it's uh, not just reverence and awe, how should we understand the fear of the Lord? Well, generally speaking, this fear is what we experience when we encounter God as the Holy One, the all-knowing, everywhere present, all-powerful God, the one who holds our breath in his hands. And we recognize that this one that is so far above us is also a loving father to his children. It's therefore something that causes respect, reverence, and awe, as well as uh, joy, happiness, and love. Fear to displease him, but an encouragement that bringing joy to such a father is a great thing. Fear and comfort come in the same sentence in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, uh, we read how the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were, multi they were multiplied. Fear and comfort. Makes me remember that uh, passage in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the children first hear about this scary lion named Aslan, and they are very nervous. Is he safe? Safe? Of course he isn't safe, reply the beavers, but he's good. So it is that uh, fearing the Lord comes with, at various times, comfort, strength, trembling, or here in 128, happiness, happiness. I'd like to speak to you on the happiness of fearing God from this passage and uh, begin with the, the happiness that comes from the fear of the Lord. Second, the happy home that comes from the fear of the Lord. Third, the happy nation that comes from the fear of the Lord. And then uh, we'll conclude by thinking a little more about uh, what it means for us to be blessed in this way when sometimes we don't feel like it. Well, happiness comes from the fear of the Lord. My first point to you, happiness comes from the fear of the Lord. Blessed, or as I've explained to you, the ordinary word for happy. It's translated in verse 2 in my New King James. Happy, happy is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you'll be happy. Same word, and it'll be well with you. In his uh, wonderful book, Jerry Bridges wrote a few years ago called The Joy of fearing God, he begins by saying that the first time he used that expression, the joy of fearing God, he got a puzzled look 
and a Christian leader asked him, that's an interesting combination of words, isn't it? Bridges says, I suspect he was being polite and thinking, how could anybody enjoy fear? Well, the Bible, for its part, is quite adamant in many places. Not only here, Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. The satisfaction of fearing the Lord. How can joy bring us satisfaction? Well, the Bible has answers, but the greatest answer of all is that God himself is near to those who fear him, and he greatly delights in them. Psalm 147, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him who hope in his mercy. Psalm 103, he shows them his fatherly care. As, the father, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities or has compassion on those who fear him. Those who fear him are his close personal friends, Psalm 25, and who know him intimately, to whom he will reveal his secrets. Verse 20, Psalm 25, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Only these can find joy and delight in him. Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. And those who fear him have what they most desire and cannot be made to envy the wicked because their future is secure in God. Proverbs 23, Do not let your heart be envious of sinners, but be zealous in the fear of the Lord all the day, for surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. In many, many other passages, I could talk about, which you might say, the psychological or the emotional effects of fear. So many positive ones, joy, satisfaction, um, uh, confidence, uh, having the Lord as our confidant, our friend, tasting and seeing that he is good. Is this practical? It is practical indeed. How, you ask, how can the fear of the Lord bring us all of these benefits? Well, in that same book, The Joy of Fearing God, Bridges gives us many wonderful illustrations of how that fear can bring us joy every moment of our lives. For the man who fears the Lord is the one who is conscious that this great and mighty God is, is with him and walks with him every day. And what does that give us? Well, for example, Bridges gives his own testimony, for example. One, one day he says, I was sitting in the examining room of an ear, ear, nose, and throat doctor. Not ordinarily a very happy experience, by the way. Um, on the wall opposite my chair was a drawing of a greatly enlarged cross-section of the human ear. As I looked at the tiny bones, commonly called the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup, I marveled at the perfection of the human ear and the ingenuity of God in designing it. And I enjoyed a few moments of worship while waiting there and transformed a routine doctor's appointment into a delightful time of fellowship with God. I know very little about the ear, but I can thoroughly enjoy the knowledge I have because it is built on the foundation of fearing the one who created it, you see. Just having that consciousness of God, of the great and majestic God. Regis says, my experience should be the experience of every believer in every field, the student of history, 
can enjoy the subject so much more if he or she believes that history is not merely the tale told by an idiot, sound of fury, full of sound and fury signifying nothing, but rather the outworking of God's sovereign plan and purpose for the world. The Christian astronomer should worship as he or she observes through the telescope the vast handiwork of God in the heavens. The godly farmer rejoicing, uh, sorry, growing crops rejoices in the awareness that all agricultural skill comes ultimately from God. Any sphere of knowledge you're engaged in, every aspect of your workaday world should be to you as a believer the source of wonder and worship, the means of glorifying God, and it will be if you enjoy the fear of God. This reverent adoration, carrying it with us, can bring us joy every moment of the day. One who fears the Lord is mindful of him, holding him in awe, wonder, and praise. And so for these and many similar reasons, this is a fountain of happiness. Verse 2, certainly when we are to do our work, we are to be happy as we eat its fruits and know that things will be well with us. The man who fears God is able to be content, not griping about life or complaining about all the bad breaks, for he knows the great, majestic, mighty God is working all things out for his glory. So the best thing in the world has already happened to him. The Lord is with him, and his happiness, therefore, is not coming only from small circumstances, but from his great God. Well, the fear of the Lord comes with many happy blessings, many more things than I could describe, but simply when we read here in verse 1 how happy is everyone who fears the Lord, we could spend a great time just elaborating that one verse and thinking about how practical it is, how the fear of the Lord brings us joy. But our second point, the emphasis of this psalm, the happy home comes from the fear of the Lord. The happy home comes from the fear of the Lord. Uh, it could be applied in many ways, but uh, probably Solomon here is applying this in Psalm 127 and 128 to give us a kind of blueprint for a happy home. Taken together, these two psalms, as one has pointed out, are like four stages in the development of a family. There is the first, the building of a house, the inception, the foundation in Psalm 127 verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Then uh, there is the expansion of the home, building on that foundation, the children that are a heritage from the Lord. Then in 128 verses 1 through 4, we find the growing phase, the child-rearing years, the building material. As children like olive plants all around your table, uh, growing up, and finally the empty nest years, the finished product, uh, seeing your children's children. Uh, without putting that too far on the Psalms, we, we do find that uh, they, these Psalms are woven together. Certainly in Psalm 127, it says a happy home is found from God's blessing, but Psalm 128 goes a step further then and says that happiness in the home comes from a home that fears the Lord. Now, let's suppose you wanted to build a house. You don't know very much about building, so you, you know the basics. You know you need some cement and lumber and nails and plumbing and electrical materials, so you go buy Lowe's and you just pick some out that uh, looks good. And um, 
you uh, have them sent to your property, and then with this pile, you start sawing, nailing, stringing electrical wires around, putting plumbing pipes here and there. And what would the finished product be? Well, um, unless you're one of the few guys here that know something about, ham about house building, be a ramshackle lean-to in the very best case. You were lacking any plan, lacking a blueprint. If you're going to build a house, you have to sit down and sh sit down with a blueprint that shows you all the necessary design and materials if you wanted to have a finished product that you could live in. No one in his right mind would consider building a house without a blueprint. Everyone would agree that the structure called a house is not nearly as important as the people in it, though. The relationships that we call a home. And yet, while we think that we would never build a house without a blueprint, people go about trying to build a home with no idea of what they're doing and how they might have any happiness in it. It doesn't make sense. And the result too often is a ramshackle lean to family life. It's from that misery that these psalms, in a quick but uh, packing a punch kind of way, are uh, describing how we might lay a foundation for the building of a proper house. There was an old newspaper ad that made this offer. We will oil your sewing machine and adjust the tension in your house, in your home, for only one dollar. <clears throat> if, if, if you don't read it uh, with the proper uh, pace, it loses it. We will oil your sewing machine and adjust the tension in your home <laughs> for a dollar. You know what they're saying, of course, but if only it were possible to adjust tension, the tension in our homes for a dollar. Many would pay a thousand dollars or more. Uh, the psalm says, the fear of the Lord is that missing ingredient, the one that is able to bring both God's blessing and th three times here, happiness, happiness to a home. Solomon begins Psalm 127 saying, you know, what, what, whatever you're doing, whether it's building a house or guarding a city or working at a job, <laughs> it's going to come to nothing unless the Lord blesses it. T twice he repeats the phrase, unless the Lord, and three times he gives us the word vain, to make the point that the only possibilities are these. Either the Lord's going to bless it, or your efforts are going to be completely in vain. It doesn't matter how much you do and how much you know. The foundational principle means that the most important factor here in the home is not having the latest books or seminars or techniques. The most crucial factor is fearing the Lord. And here and throughout the Bible, God's directives for the family are invariably given, you notice, to a husband and a father as the spiritual leader. It could have been addressed in other ways, but as is so typical, husbands and fathers are the ones that are spoken here. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the heart of your house. Heart of your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Husbands, reminding you that um, in the fulfilling of this pursuit of happiness, in the fear of the Lord, that uh, someone in your home has the 
chief responsibility. Someone is responsible for the sins, the spots, and blemishes, as Paul puts it in his letter, or rather the holiness, sanctification, the cleansing application of the Word of God in order that the Lord may be properly feared. Someone at your address is responsible for the spiritual nurture and admonition of the children in the fear of the Lord. And who should that be but the man that fears the Lord here? I read somebody who said that uh, there's some good news and bad news about raising godly children. The good news is that it's very easy to lead that your children will follow your example. And that's also the bad news. <laughs> These uh, verses, you notice, say nothing about wealth or position. Uh, for a godly family that fears the Lord is wealth and honor enough. And you are to take care that uh, those under your own charge know that fear that has been such a blessing and a happiness to you. As one writer put it, a happy family is but an earlier heaven. The wife of one who fears the Lord is here described as a fruitful vine. And uh, that fruitful vine, uh, maybe some overlapping senses of that, probably childbearing is first in line, given the context, could also be joy and productivity. That is to say, children are a blessing from God, it's Psalm 127, verse 3, and that uh, fruitfulness of a wife may speak to that, um, or the fruit of the vine in the Bible is also associated with joy and gladness. Judges 9, Psalm 104, the, the joy of a fruitful vine and also something that is good and nourishing and productive of good things. Well, the wife then, whether it's in children or joy or productivity, we cannot perhaps say for sure all of the above, but such is the one who fears the Lord. The children of one who fears the Lord are pictured here as olive plants. A tree doesn't bear fruit overnight. It takes a lot of tender, loving care, weeding, watering, feeding, prayer before there's fruit. And the picture here is of children being nurtured as olive plants toward fruitfulness that will mature in the years to come. At last, the God-fearing man is pictured as happy, enjoying a blessing as he sees his children's children following the Lord as the one who has a happy home is blessed from generation to generation in the psalm. We are reminded thirdly here that the happy nation comes from homes where God is feared. The happy nation comes from homes where God is feared. The psalm concludes, May the Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Uh, it could be that wish, or some of you have a future tense, the Lord will bless you out of Zion, uh, you will see good out of Jerusalem, may you see your children's children peace upon Israel. The family is then the building block of the nation. The turmoil in our nation today can be, tra can be traced back to a lack of fear of the Lord in homes. And if we want to see change in our nation, we should follow God's blueprint by becoming men, women, and children who fear the Lord and walk in his ways and recognize that the fear of the Lord is a great blessing not only to homes, but to nations. That is to say, rulers who don't fear God 
generally end up as tyrants. Nehemiah, for instance, writes, the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I didn't do so because of the fear of God. The only thing that distinguished Nehemiah from all those tyrants before is that he feared the Lord. When politicians don't fear God, well, either they end up as tyrants or sometimes in a democracy where they fear the people, you get the opposite problem. They promote license, license and injustice. You get sinfully permissive rulers. This psalm reminds us that uh, the children that are as olive plants will one day grow up and bear fruit on their own. And Psalm 127, they will be as, as arrows in the hands of warriors. They will be able to increase greatly the, the distance in which the godly man is able to contend in the world. Back in 1979, I uh, read a man who wrote this. During the past 10 years, an army of over 30 million people have come to the, to the United States because they have arrived one by one, appearing innocent and harmless. We have not suspected their potential power. Someday soon, however, we shall awaken to the fact that this army has taken over our nation. They will publish our papers, operate our radio and television stations, control our churches and teach in our schools. They will capture Washington and dominate the federal government as well as the administration of each state. They will take over every business and industry, including control of atomic energy. Complete authority will be in their hands, and all that will remain for the rest of us will be to submit and die. This army, of course, is an army of children. And we have the power to decide whether these future conquerors of our country will be pagan or Christian. What will our nation's future be? Will the future be in the fear of the Lord? Solomon compares these children to arrows in the hands of a warrior. They may be a handful before they're a quiverful. But with the training and diligent efforts and the part of a wise father here in the psalm especially to bring them up in the fear of the Lord, children and children's children will be deadly weapons in the hands of a mighty God. Now, children will not grow into straight, sharp arrows by being left to themselves or to their television set, but the God-fearing man who has his quiver full of straight, sharp arrows ready to send to the heart of his enemies will not be ashamed when there are enemies at the gate says the psalm. Now, having finished the overall exposition in a quick way, I, I'd like to handle a, an important question that I'm sure has occurred to us as we sing these psalms, as we consider these psalms. Is this blessing always ours? Wisdom psalms, you know, is that's not a biblical phrase, that's a uh, uh, a designation that people give, you know, there's wisdom literature. These, these Psalms of Solomon are very similar to wisdom literature, Proverbs, for instance, where the godly man is blessed in a variety of ways. Uh, so we have wisdom psalms, uh, songs that speak about various blessings where godly people typically get good things happening to them. And yet we, we know that this doesn't always work that way, does it? 
wisdom psalms are showing us an ideal. And we recognize, of course, the psalms are recognized elsewhere, plenty of laments. We don't live in an ideal world. I mean, practically speaking, from Psalm 127 and 28, we could say that not, not all the godly enjoyed such happiness. Some homes have been split apart by divorce. Sometimes a single mom or single dad is barely holding everything together. Others are in spiritually mixed marriages where a husband is hostile, hostile or indifferent to the gospel. And a, a wife, perhaps, is providing spiritual training for her children or vice versa. Whatever it is, we, we recognize that uh, the, these wisdom psalms that present a certain ideal, um, well, sometimes the reality is quite different. And I want to explain why we should not despair. It doesn't mean that God won't bless you or can't bring you happiness in your situation if you fear him and delight in his ways. The Bible over and over again promises to believers an avalanche of blessing where there is blessing, we sometimes have to wonder, how do these psalms fit in? And I'd like to spend a few minutes with you considering the application of these things in the homes of our day. Well, the Bible often directly addresses the fact that God's people undergo terrible afflictions, that their lives, by any worldly membership, <laughs> measurement rather, sometimes compare unfavorably to the unbelieving and the unrighteous. We, we sang of that in Psalm 73. The books of Job and Ecclesiastes deal with this at length. Uh, many lament psalms reflect on the inequality of God's blessings, the larger part by far being given to the ungodly. Paul mentions this in Romans 8. We are killed all day long. The book of Revelation majors on this theme. The Bible knows the other side of our reality and talks about it a lot. It doesn't hesitate to describe it. In Psalm 73 that we began to sing, the godly Asaph struggled with envying the wicked because they were so prosperous. Their homes were full of the good things that, that he lacked. At last, of course, as we'll conclude that psalm at the end of our service, he returned to sound thinking about the prosperity of the wicked and the life of the godly. And he left that worship with a fountain of tears and his heart aglow, recognizing that God has set the wicked in slippery places, that their blessings are going to be snatched from their mouths. But as for him, what does he desire on earth besides the Lord? Who does he have in heaven but him? My flesh and my heart may fail, and God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The, the Psalms recognize that there are things far greater even than earthly prosperity, and that if a man or woman is loved by the Lord, then even the worst circumstances of earthly life are of relatively little importance, light and momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory that has already begun to dawn. And of course, again and again, the Psalms recognize that the sorrows and troubles of life are strengthened when we consider the love and faithfulness and promises of our God. We sang from last week, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, a poor doorkeeper, than dwell in tents of wickedness, rather occupying a lowly position near the Lord 
than to be exalted somewhere else. Jesus asks his hearers this extreme question, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? He's not saying anything that the word of God hadn't said a thousand times before in the Psalms as well. Paul saying, hey, I've lost everything, but I count it as loss, as rubbish, as dung because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. These Psalms are written in the context of certain promised covenant blessings for the nation. To the nation of Israel, Deuteronomy 28, the fear of the Lord is going to bring you long life and prosperity in exactly the ways in which we sing. So these are general truths for the nation. Covenant blessings represented here in practical ways. Just like when you have your children. Okay, I don't know how you potty train, but we take the low road, right? So when we're uh, doing Ella, we have a jar of M&Ms. She goes in the potty, she gets an M&M, right? Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very simple training for children. And so the Lord had appointed for a season very simple earthly blessings for those who feared him. You do good, you get good. Recognizing, though, that that earthly blessings, as wonderful as they are, are not to be compared with the spiritual blessings, which they knew and looked forward to, and that we enjoy an even greater abundance, a prosperity of love, of peace, of righteousness and salvation, and knowing the Lord and fearing him in ways in which the people of old, well, they long to know what we know. In Psalm 16, we read that the Lord will not abandon the believer's soul to Sheol or Hades, and that the Lord will make known the path of life, and that in the Lord's presence there is fullness of joy, and his right hand are pleasures forevermore, putting into perspective light and momentary afflictions. In Psalm 49, we read of the Lord ransoming the souls of believers from the power of the grave and his receiving their souls to himself. And that hope is made the proof of the fact that the righteous are always better off than the wicked, however rich and prosperous the wicked might be. Or in Psalm 73, one more time that we'll be concluding with tonight, our flesh and our hearts are going to fail. But God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. And it says... Those who are far from you shall perish, but afterward you will receive us to glory. The Psalms themselves greatly exalt the spiritual blessings that are ours, even when the material blessings are not. Bringing it back home, the, the, the days in our home life may from time to time be tearful. And rightly so. And it hurts to read these psalms and to say, oh, Lord, if only we could have some of these blessings. If only you could adjust the tension in our house in in these ways. But yet we read other psalms and we remember that these blessings in so many ways were just prefiguring a far greater blessing of a far greater family and household. One that shall never end. The world and its blessings were never the best thing, never the chief focus of our joy, never the great difference that it meant to love and serve and fear the Lord. There are many earthly blessings that come to Christians from our Father's hand that we receive with thanks. The prosperity, the the children, these things are to be rejoiced with thanks to God. But Paul, he didn't have sons or daughters, at least not in the physical sense. He had them in the spiritual sense, 
in abundance. Brothers and sisters as well. He had no wealth, such as the world counts wealth, not after he followed the Lord. But he lived a life that was far richer, far more valuable, far more laden with rewards than anyone who ever imagined. Every Christian knows this. The wealth of the world is vanity and fleeting. Bernard of Clairvaux said, there are no greater miseries than false joys. These false joys cannot bring happiness. And the happiness that we enjoy comes from eternal blessings being fulfilled. If we have all these and some other blessings in our home to boot, well, happy are we indeed. If the Lord were to take all these things away as, they, as he took them away from Job, he could say, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so I want to conclude our study of this wisdom psalm by setting it in its covenant context, but we have a covenant too with greater and more precious promises. And after all, whom have we in heaven but the Lord? And there is none on earth that we desire him. Nevertheless, we are continually with him. He holds us by our right hand. He guides us with his counsel and afterward receives us into glory. What more could we ask? Happy, happy, happy is the one who fears the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that uh, such happiness would be ours and increase. We thank you for such confidence that no matter what the world should bring, whether uh, to be in plenty or in want, whether to have uh, many olive plants or few, we thank you that you have given to us brothers and sisters, fathers and children in such abundance that we should never be without in this world or in that which is to come. We do not pray to be fear, <laughs> we do not pray to be free from fear, but we do pray for grace that whenever we are afraid, that we would remember your provision, your promises, your providence and your power and recognize that in all these things, in all these sufferings, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We pray that you would fulfill the desire of our hearts in giving us children and children's children and the fear of the Lord in those things. We pray this for ourselves and for each other from the church and congregation of the righteous as a whole. And pray that you would be glorified in us. But in any case, Father, we thank you most of all for the spiritual blessings that are ours no matter what should come, that you are our portion and we have your promise.